0: Noelle Mering is our guest today. We'll talk about her book, Awake Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. Welcome to The Jay Arugas Show. Welcome to the J.R.uga Show, the first conservative podcast in the Philippines, where we help you defend life, marriage, and the family in this crazy world. We have a guest today, and let me introduce her. She has an MA in philosophy, a fellow at the Washington DC based think tank, the Ethics and Public Policy Center. She's a writer in various news sites and Catholic pages like the National Review, The Federalist, The American Mind. Catholic World Report, and the National Catholic Register. Author of the book, Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. Her most important role is being a wife to her husband and a mother to her six kids. Ladies and gentlemen, Noelle Marin Noelle, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, how's everything on your side of the planet?
1: Everything's good. It's afternoon for me on a Friday, so that's nice.
0: All right. Th- thanks for accepting my invite, Noel.
1: Of course. You know, my mom's from the Philippines, actually. So really? My t- yeah.
0: Okay. Are, are you half Filipino? or?
1: I'm half Filipino. Oh, that's good yeah. to know.
0: Before we proceed to discussing this dangerous ideology, to those who don't know you, maybe you could tell us how you get to do what you're doing. And have you always been Catholic?
1: Uh, I, I was born and raised Catholic, um, but I went to the public schools. My dad, uh, I think, started realizing that, that formation was not happening, mm-hmm. um, you know, through defaults of public school life in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And so he's, he became more serious about his faith and started taking me to a bunch of Catholic conferences. And mm-hmm. um, I wound up going to an evangelical college, actually, and um, met my husband there. And then while I was there, I... I you sort of had a natural drift away from the faith, I think, in high school and college years. And then it started grappling with, is the Catholic Church true? And mm-hmm. uh, if is the Eucharist real? If so, I want to be at Mass. And so I just started doing a lot of reading and thinking and praying and eventually realized, I think this is true. And mm-hmm. uh, I want to live a life of Catholic uh, in the Catholic Church. And so my husband ended up actually doing his own investigating and he converted as well. Um, and we got married and have six children, and he's um, from Massachusetts, but we have settled in Southern California where we've been raising our children.
0: All right, let's start with this word on the title of your book, and many Catholics in the Philippines, especially the older ones, don't know what we'll be talking about. And because of this, many were caught off guard. When they start looking around, they don't recognize this new culture that they're in. So, Noelle, what does woke mean?
1: That's a good question people answer in different ways. I think, think the most innocuous way to answer it that would probably have more universal agreement from among people who count themselves as woke is mm. that it is becoming awakened or alert and attuned to the layers of oppression in society. Um, mm. and I think where the disagreement starts to happen is that, um, it, you know, I would say that it is, and I think actually a lot of them would agree with this too, that it is realizing that the core of the human experience are dynamics of power. Um, and that the, those dynamics of power are written into this very structure and system of society. Um, and, uh, and it's oppression from groups, uh, you know, that are, have a, a dominant dominance in the culture, but it's also our own internalized um, repression uh, in service of the moral law. So it's woke is a combination of oppressive identity politics that would be more consistent with kind of the new Marxism type of understanding, um, and also with a heavy dosage of Freudianism um, uh-huh. and the idea that all of our motivations are all of our motivations are grounded in, in the desire for sexual liberation.
0: Yeah, be- because you mentioned Marxism, and whenever I hear the word woke not far behind is the concept of Marxism. And how are these two ideologies linked together?
1: Yeah, I think that they are pretty closely linked together. Um, you know, I think people get confused because they think of Marx as being an economic theory, but he uh-huh. really was not strictly about economics. I think that was just an avenue of what a, he was putting forth in the world, which was sort of a new type of atheism that was mm. its own sort of religion. So um, his writing is rife with, um, well, for one thing, in his younger years, satanic imagery, hmm. um, but also a self-deification. So he, will write, he would write about how man needs to become his own true God, his own North Star, sort of self-creation, this idea of self-creation, deposing God. Um, and, and class warfare was sort of, I think, more of a means to revolution than an end in itself. So um, he really started that idea, I think, of a strictly atheistic, materialistic Mm -hmm. um, kind of social philosophy uh, that I, you know, I think originally was uh, began in the Garden of Eden, right? Mm -hmm. When um, Mm -hmm. he tells the first humans that they might be as gods, Um, and I do think that that's the animating force in the movement. I think that Marx just maybe synthesized it in a way that took on a compelling force in the society and um, his acolytes who came after him, shifted it and um, kind of let the the spirit of Marxism become um, something that could morph into what will most effectively seed revolution in different countries, be it Maoist China, or Mm -hmm. Stalinist Russia, and now America. And so I think that in some ways, wokeism is a particularly Western version of this shape-shifting ideology that I think is fundamentally um, demonic anti-logos mm. and um anti-human mm.
0: and last time i think a few weeks ago there's a satan con in boston and i i hear what they worship is the self when you listen to satanist in there Uh and you mentioned that marxism seems to be close to it uh the worship of the self yeah my question then is, how did this repulsive ideology, Marxism, become mainstream, especially in American universities? Because I tell you, we're getting it here too. So I'm in a group chat with many left-leaning people who promote socialism and are borderline communists. When I was young, it's clear to us that communism is bad. Uh, not only socialism, but you mentioned the the Freudianism, which is a sexual uh, liberation. How did it get mainstream?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I think there's two different ways to answer it. That the you know the geni- or the progress through of power was, um, I think, pretty directly by infiltrating the institutions of Western control. So especially academics. You mentioned, mm. you know, how to get schools. That was a really um, real strategy. So there were, uh, you know, there were a lot of celebrity sort of intellectuals who were who were very, um, you know, coming out of neo-Marxist uh, institutions such as the Frankfurt School. Mm. Uh, one in particular is named Herbert Marcusa, mm. And he mentored a lot of the 60s radicals like Angela Davis, um, Bill um Bernadine Dor. Um, who were social students, uh, you know, so they call themselves the SDS or the Weathermen, um, you know, branched off from that, but they were mm-hmm. basically Marxists. Um, and, and, you know, they, they believed in violent revolution, um, you know, and several of them had to go underground or had to, were, you know, arrested and had to go before uh, the court because of either firebombing or other, you know, blocks and um, more sinister mm-hmm. activities. So, um, but what happened after, um, you know, when those people kind of, that, that era sort of, um, started unwi- unwinding and the revolution became, you know, kind of had to go underground more, mm. uh, because I think they did, people weren't re- ready for a full on violent revolution in America. Oh. Uh, well, where'd they go? They became, uh, they got cushy chairs, you know, at, um, teachers colleges, mm. uh, particularly with the case of Bill Ayers or cozied up with politicians or, you know, led other various movements that have been seeding revolution in other ways, you know, less not violent, nonviolent ways, but still, um, you know, like a viral poison injecting this ideology, um, you know, to people, influential people from school districts who would then go back to their districts and disseminate radical ideology throughout their district districts mm. um so you know this is commonly called the long march through the institutions um it was pro- often attributed to antonio gramsci the italian communist mm. but actually was a social democrat a marxist um named rudy Deutsch. i think is the way you pronounce it um but the idea being that the west is really resistant to marxism and to revolution so we have to position ourselves this is a war position and once we get climbed up the ranks of the courts Politics media mm-hmm. art, hollywood um k through twelve as well as the academy, then we will really be able to from those positions um you know i think escalate the revolution when the time comes
0: mm. and it seems like if there's one architect behind it it's the devil because he's <laughs> the only one who could oversee these kinds of of long term goals
1: yeah I, uh, mm-hmm. I think that they, i think that they i think it is um certainly the devil and not that everyone who i think is caught up in it is explicit or fully cognizant of that I mm. they certainly are not um but you know like you said earlier they the devil wants you to worship yourself he doesn't ask you first to worship him he asks you to serve yourself
0: mm-hmm. and that's a
1: pretty intoxicating um uh temptation for people right and so i think it pulls a lot of people in in that way because it seems really empowering Um, And then it, you know, it it ages poorly as every scheme of the devil does. But um, Mm. it's it's enticing.
0: Yeah. I'll be asking some other common questions, Noel. And I, I hear whenever I watch news from the U.S. these terms. So let's start with critical theory. What does this mean?
1: Yeah, critical theory came out of the Frankfurt School, that group of German neo-Marxists and neo-Freudians who came to America in 1935, uh, adjacent to Columbia Um. University. And it, it, you know, I think in a lot of ways, critical theory is what replaced what we would have considered critical thinking. So Mm. um, I try to draw those distinctions in my book, that critical Mm. thinking is is oriented towards the truth, right? It's trying, it makes you someone who has the goal of truth. And so if you want the truth, then you're going to welcome objections to your position, because you want to correct yourself if you have if you're if you're off course, mm. you don't quite have the full picture. Um, critical theory does not want the truth, it wants power. Mm. And so objections are not to be welcomed, but rather to be silenced. And I think this explains this difference, explains a lot about why, you know, I think for so long um people have been saying, well, why don't we have equal time? Or, you know, why are you engaging in cancel mm-hmm. culture or silencing people or censorship or what have you? Um you know that this is not this is not not democratic or not cl- classically uh, uppercase l liberal and i think the re- what they didn't realize is that that was not the goal the goal was no longer debate dialogue oh. to arrive at the truth the goal is now to silence its dominate mm-hmm. um so critical theory assumes approach an answer already and then looks for mm-hmm. evidence to back it up so mm-hmm. it'll say okay the patriarchy is bad men are oppressors, women have been oppressed. So let's look through literature and and look at it through a new filter. How can we support that theory by finding things in literature in society in our personal interactions? So you're constantly seeking to unmask a pre pre preformed conclusion that there is oppression on all these on all these different levels.
0: Uh, That's a good way to put it uh, to understand what critical theory is, uh, starting with the conclusion and then looking for evidence that will support that conclusion. So there's another term that's been thrown around uh, intersectionality. So uh, what does intersectionality mean?
1: Intersectionality was birthed um, through a uh, professor named Kimberly Crenshaw, who's been written a lot um, and, and, some, and oftentimes quite well. Um, yeah. And the idea being that if we don't start to see the various layers of oppression with, that can adhere within one person, we're going to have people mis, um, slip through the cracks. So for oh. example, um, the example she gives is, um, or one example that you can, you can use is say a company says, I, we need to hire more black people, we need to hire more women. Hmm. Well, they could easily fulfill that by hiring a bunch of black men and white women, but who gets lost? The black woman. That mm. she has two oppressed identities, um, and that by not recognizing the way that those are intersecting in her, she's getting hit mm. by oppression two different ways by being um, uh, by being you know uh, discriminated against. And so there, and there's you know there's a truth there. You can uh-huh. see oh that does make sense. You know she will slip through the cracks. Um, you know one of the problems is that it's uh, you know you start to um, she uses an analogy of her carrying a knapsack where you're, you're, all your identities are kind of in your knapsack. Mm. And it gives you the ability to have what's called standpoint epistemology, so that the more identities you can stack up, the more oppression intersects in you, in your identity, um, the greater access you have to things that are true and things that are real. Mm. And the greater ability you have to silence somebody who has who has fewer, can claim fewer oppressed identities. Um, so it ends up sort of endlessly fracturing people, right? That there's not... Um, this is why you can say, um, yeah, as a, a progressive magazine recently mm-hmm. said, um, that the black man is the new, um, white ma- face of white supremacy. He, they said that about Larry Elder, but there's another mm-hmm. example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm not going to remember, but basically that the maleness is so denuding the oppressed identity of this race that, uh, in comparison to someone who is, you know, non-binary or what have you, <laughs> um, you know, that there's this, um, there's an endless ability to point your finger at other people um, because you can keep claiming it further and further, um, further, and further identities um, in, in ways that divide society endlessly.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I heard it from Jordan Peterson that the bourgeoisie and proletariat, the proles, uh, the line isn't that clear because one prole could be the oppressor of another. And if you, If you just group us into these two groups, you'll end up with a victimhood hierarchy, which is what we're seeing now. I love this quote in your book. Uh, Let me read it. So you said, "In In its perversion of Christianity, the woke elevate and glorify not the one true victim, which is Christ, but by whose blood we are made innocent, but the gods of the woke mob, by whose victimhood we are made guilty. So... I love that. I, I hope I'm not spoiling too much from your book. but Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> There's still a lot of uh, content in the book that the readers can <laughs> appreciate.
1: So. Yeah. No, I think there's something really... I spent a chapter kind of teasing apart that idea of the, the Christ, the victimhood of our Lord, mm. uh, who is the ultimate victor, and the idea of self-deification in light of who he is becoming self-victimization, right? That we... Mm if we want his innocence and his, but he is the innocent victim. So I think the woke movement induces us to want to claim his innocence for ourselves and claim his victimhood for ourselves. Um, and innocence, I think they claim, try to claim in two ways. One, because if you have a victim identity, you can become blameless in certain ways. I think hmm. we saw that with a lot of the rioting in 2020, that there were all these lefty think pieces, um, you know, talking about how rioting is, you know, um, an imaginative way of trying to seek, you know, some power. Mm. I mean, all these um, anesthetizing it, you know, and um, and and I think that you there's a way in which violence is very much justifiable in the minds of the woke if you if it is coming from an oppressed um, uh, person fighting mm. for the ideology. But the other way that I think they try to claim innocence is by destroying innocence. And I spend some time in the book talking about that. That innocence really is a target for the woke movement. And I think it's really important to, for people to understand it makes a lot of sense when you see how much children are targeted, mm-hmm. their innocence, that, you know, exposing kids to adult sexuality is not a weird fringe thing anymore. It really is really logical if you understand the logic of a woke movement. Um, and I think that is a targeting of Christ, innocent, you know, the innocent victim. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are, um, there's a lot of spiritual things happening Particularly with that quote that you, that you mm. highlighted.
0: And since you mentioned Attack on Innocence, we can segue to the next part of the conversation. When you watch movies these days, especially from Disney, you'll be bombarded by woke propaganda, specifically LGBTQ plus content. And they're prevalent in kids' shows these days. And for example, this is not Disney, but Velma in Scooby Doo just came out as a lesbian. And I've been trying to come up with a response on why we should oppose these kinds of content. But my fear is that they might call me a bigot because it, it's easy to oppose, let, let's say, Drag Queen Story Hour because you can say that it's sexualizing the kids. But how can you oppose, let's say, cartoons with characters who has have like two moms or two dads? How can we oppose this charitably? No.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the short answer is people are probably going to call us all bigots at one time or another. <laughs> you know, we have to get really uh, we have to have um, be prepared for that mm. and not let it bother us because it is a manipulation um, to intimidate us. Mm. Um, I think to pose it charitably, I understand what you're saying. You know, most people have people in their lives who are um, in same sex unions. Mm. And, you know, it is it does feel like a sensitive topic. Um, you know, I think that one thing we could say is that pointing out, um, that it is, it's really quite ideological why they would put that in a cartoon. Mm. Um, you know, that's not an accident or, you know, I think that, I think that the, the, the charitable interpretation is, well, there are a lot of kids who are in this position. And so we want to make them see, feel like their life is seen too. Um, mm. but that, um, that, that the, the, the problem is that what, what, what they're targeting when they target innocence is targeting that there is any such thing as something called that is something that can be considered normal mm. right so queer theory is and fundamentally about disrupting anything that feels seems normal mm. um so uh y- you know you're injecting things at a young age to see into kids imaginations the idea that anything can go right that there, mm. there's not a fundamental meaning to our bodies there's not really a fundamental meaning to marriage um that the person has the ability to interpret it for the sake of his or her own desires in accord with his or her own gratification um, that doesn't really convey any sort of objective meaning of what our bodies are made for um, the idea that marriage is not purely for our own emotional and you know sexual desires but it's actually for the growth of the community through, for first quite deliberately through the growing of the family but also um, because the family is a fundamental cell of the society and its health is integral to the success of the society. So there's all these important things that I think um, we've, we, we've been beaten down with so much propaganda to think yeah. that it, we're, we're see, we seem like haters if we point them out, but they're just true. And so I think one mm-hmm. way we can get at it without in charity is to um, to point out that disagreement does not imply hatred. So I saw an old friend who is, you know, in a gay union um, a few years ago, and someone mentioned and we had a lovely afternoon with a group of people. Then at some point, an old friend mentioned that I was religious and he Mm -hmm. was shocked, Mm -hmm. turned to me, said, do you hate me? And I said, no, do you hate me? You probably are against everything the Catholic Church says, you know, but Mm -hmm. I don't assume you hate me. Why? You know, I think we have to reject that framework, that disagreement means hatred.
0: Thanks for that, Noel. I, I. I'll be in a dialogue with an LGBTQ plus advocate in a few days, so I'll have a lot of inputs from from you. Uh, Here's one other question. Uh, What's the best response when we're asked for our pronouns? This normally happens during corporate meetings. Some guy would, would start introducing him or herself, then their preferred pronouns, then people get caught off guard. So, what would be the, the best response for that one?
1: I, I think if I were in that situation, in particular that you just illustrated, where no one asked me for my pronouns but offered theirs, I would just say, "My my name's Noel marion and I wouldn't even address it at all. Oh, okay. Especially in a okay. hmm. if someone asked me directly, "What are your pronouns?" I would smile and say, "I am a woman."
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I'm not going to play the pronoun game, and I think that that's a line we shouldn't cross.
0: Mm, thanks. All right and we're talking about this because a few weeks from now rainbow flags will be flown around the world and this is a general question what should be a christian attitude toward towards pride month
1: yeah that's a great question i actually wrote an essay last year about a christian response to pride month and one you know mm. one phrase i think encapsulates what i would say is that um we should love the person and fight the revolution. And I think that we can and must do both. I think that loving a person does not mean kowtowing to a revolution mm-hmm. that is de- all of us. Um, I think if we really wanna love people, we have to resist this evil revolution um, in all of its forms that are fundamentally redefining what a human being is and um, in ways that make it really difficult for us to actually flourish so um i think we have to do both so you know i would never i've had this argument with other um, catholic younger women before where they feel like loving their friend means that they should go support them in the pride parade even if they Mm. don't agree i think that's a participation in a lie that's inappropriate or not not right um i would you know i would not volunteer my opinion probably if um if i if it were not asked of me personally from a friend um, most of my friends know where I stand anyway, so it's not really an issue or they, they know what I think. So I don't try to, um, you know, badger them with my opinion too much because they already know. Um, but I think that we can, when it's solicited of us, we can simply and plainly say what we believe and affirm our love for the other person, their fundamental dignity, the, the way in which we value our friendship, um, the beautiful things that we see in that person. You know, I think there are ways to do this, particularly with people in our lives that, um, we have relationship with that, um can can really um massage that situation and give it a soft landing, right? Without compromising any sort of principle or pretending that we don't believe what we do believe.
0: Noel, the, the reason I invited you is because a few weeks ago, let me tell you this story. I discovered LGBTQ plus and gender ideology lessons in my daughter's notebook. My daughter is studying in a Catholic school. The priest in the school don't know that this has been there in the subject for a long time the principal is not aware that this is the most dangerous ideological colonization that pope francis has been referring to the reason i brought this up is because i read your book and there are different culpabilities people have in this whole proliferation of woke ideology and i love your analogy from the movie the sixth sense and maybe you can add with that question uh, what is the Christian response to our brothers and sisters who are into this dangerous ideology and what are the different uh, roles the, the people yeah. have?
1: Yeah, no, this, uh, this analogy helps me. Um, it, so there's a the movie called The Sixth Sense. A lot right. of people were introduced to a mental illness called Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy. Uh, and in the movie, the boy... Kaley Joel Osmond's character who is able to see dead people, mm-hmm. he encounters a young girl his age who, who um, was poisoned by her mom um, because her mom had this mental illness where she was posturing as though she were caretaking for her daughter, but she was inventing or exaggerating the daughter's illness. Mm-hmm. She was in some instances causing the illness by injecting things into her food. Um, and it's a really horrifying kind of illness because it's oftentimes the caretaker, particularly a mother. Um, but there was a third person in the scene. There's the daughter who was the victim, um, the mother who was the perpetrator and unwell. And then there was her father who had no idea, couldn't believe that his wife could have such happen, you know, could be so, you know, acting mm-hmm. so in such horrifying ways as to harm their child. Um, but he was, you know, un- uh, unwittingly aiding and abetting the demise of the daughter, you know, be it in preparation for the food and encouraging the wife and bringing the food to his daughter, what have you. But he's not really culpable, right? Maybe mm. there's some mm. negligence or something. But, so I, I think of this as the three ways in which people are um, distinctly kind of wrapped up in this movement. The daughter is an innocent victim. Mm. You know, she's been given this poison ideology. And so this obviously is, you know, young people who are given this stuff in schools and this propaganda and their shows and kind of start believing it. Mm. Then there's the, and she needs to be healed, right? She Mm -hmm. needs to be helped. Then there's a father who needs to be enlightened, right? He would have done anything to have been aware that this was so harmful and he was goodwill, but he Mm -hmm. was aiding and something bad. And then there's the mother. Mm -hmm. And maybe she'll be healed at some point later, but right now she just needs to be stopped Mm -hmm. because she's injecting the flow of poison. Um, So I think that that matches with what I see the approach to resisting woke that some people need to be accompanied, loved, befriended in order to help, you know, help them heal from this stuff or to help them see it differently and be enlightened. Um, but there are people who are in, um, who, who are injecting the poison into people in ways that just have to be stopped. Mm. Um, and so I think that with schools, right. Um, you know, doing this to kids, um, I, you know, I don't know what what the what your recourse is at your school, mm. but we've had a real grassroots movement of parent parent parental resistance. Yeah. Um, various or lesser levels of success. You know, some the schools can really they can be pretty intransigent. Mm. Um, so um, it, it's a very difficult situation. My heart goes out to parents who are doing this, but I would be hyper involved of not making sure that my kids were not getting any of that mm. taught to them.
0: Mm. I if. I take the analogy. I think the the school of my daughter is more of the father who don't know that uh, what they're teaching is this dangerous ideology. Uh, real quick, the, the mother, what are the, what uh, bodies of our organizations could be like this mother? I am thinking big pharma or the medical field right now who are into gender reassignment surgery. Who, yeah,
1: who, I definitely think Big Pharma, um, I think, you know, I I think that people who are, there's a lot of really heavy handed pushing of the ideology that's happening in K through 12 in America mm-hmm. now, um, maybe less an, aligned to what you're saying, experiencing your school, far more aggressive, mm-hmm. um, bringing pornography, you know, pornographic stories to children, exposing them to these types of things online. Um, so that, I think that would be more like the mother, I think, you know, probably the the public education establishment mm. in America is more like the mother. Mm. Um, they're so seeped in the ideology. It's They've really identified themselves as activists, not educators. Um, probably a lot of elements in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, okay. But yeah, certainly trans, doctors, counseling, transition, um, counselors, counseling, transition. These people need to be stopped.
0: Mm. Okay, Noel. Noelle. Uh, I said that's the last question, but just, this is the very last question. Why? Why do we need to fight this culture war? Why? Why is this important? Why can't we just retreat to our own bubble and just live and let live?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think because this movement is such that it won't stop unless it's stopped. My friend Matt Peterson says that a lot because it's just it really has an insatiable desire to keep rupturing, destroying, blowing things up, and so. Um, it has to be opposed if it's going to, it's not just going to say, okay, we've progressed far enough. Now we're good. Mm. No, I mean, we're at the point where, you know, 10 years ago is unimaginable that they would be sexually mutilating the genitals of children. Um, so what are the, what's going to be happening in 10 years from now? You know we have to, we have to put a stop to this. Um, and, but also because, you know, I think, you know, I think, I assume your Catholic audience is largely Catholic yeah, yeah. and mm. Catholic church has, you know, said un, um, without any qualification that there is no, um reconciling of uh, socialism communism with being a catholic because they're fundamentally atheistic and um uh demonic so um that doesn't say that every person in this movement is sold or sold to the devil i don't mean that by any means and that mm-hmm. sixth sense analogy i into play here um, but we are alive at this particular time to um serve god and to serve one another and so it, it's it's really not a catholic option i i don't think to um to retreat to our own lives to not pay attention to the the chaos that's you know happening that's really harming people um you know i think the catholic church has always been very proactive at establishing hospitals orphanages ways to help communities ways to build people up um and i think this is out of, of a piece of that because these are fundamental lies that are really poisoning people and and, and um we want people to be happy and to live good flourishing lives so we have a positive vision to give people. Their vision is one of destruction, grievance, accusation. The Catholic Church's vision is one of the cathedral, right? It's beautiful. Um, it doesn't mean every person's perfect, but it's the family. It's friendship. It's service. It's, you know, harmony. It's peace, deep peace, peace of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's great joy. So these are positive visions, and it would, it would be we'd be remiss to sit on the sidelines when we have that to offer people.
0: All right. Noel. thanks for your time and for the work that you do. To everyone listening, I highly recommend Awake Not Woke by Noel Merring. Anything you'd like to promote? Uh, maybe some social media page?
1: Oh, sure. We've got a website, theologyofhome.com. I've written a series of books with my co-author, Carrie Gress, called Theology of Home. So you can go there and subscribe. It's free and we stay in touch that way.
0: All right. Okay. This has been another episode of the J.R. Show. At the end of the day, it will be night. Goodbye.